0: We have heard much of the story already this evening, but I have uh, one more section of scripture for us to look at from Matthew chapter 2, and here, it's a little strange to be reading this passage though, because it's a passage that takes place after Christmas, and here we are on Christmas Eve, oh well. Before we read this, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for all that you have made. We thank you for the way that you rule over your creation. Lord, we thank you for what we have heard already this evening and what we are about to hear. We ask that you would open our ears, that you would inform our minds, but mostly that you would give us a change of heart. God, that however close Uh, or far we have been to you before this evening, that you would draw us even closer tonight. Or that we would be changed from the inside out evermore into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Thanks be to God. I've titled the message, actually from a hymn, uh, Glory to the Newborn King. And I don't know if you noticed, as we were reading through the story this evening, or as we were singing these songs, but there's this idea of kingship that just keeps coming back again and again, for Jesus to be this newborn, but not a newborn baby, but a newborn king. King. Sometimes it's easy to notice that. It talks about his kingdom. Other times, you just keep hearing David mentioned over and over again. Why is it so important that we keep hearing about David? Because David had been the king up until now. But now, there there had been this prophecy that there would be another one in the line of David who would be this true king that all the other kings fell short of, but that all kings are supposed to be pointing toward. And I want to take a look through this passage at three kings. You say, of course, the three kings who brought the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. No. Three different kings in mind. And the first, of course, is Jesus. Being that he is the king that all kings should be like. That all kings should uh, submit to ultimately. And as you read through uh, the Gospel of Matthew in particular, you go to that first book in the New Testament, and this is what you see, is over and over again Jesus being presented as the King. But that his kingdom is different than all the other kingdoms of this world. And those of you who've been here through this fall, I know, I know. We've been looking at how his kingdom is different than all the other kingdoms. But one... One thing that kings tend to have in common is this. What the king says goes. Right? We see this happen a little bit uh, later in this passage when Herod, who does not want to come and worship uh, Jesus, as he's indicated, sends people to go kill babies in Bethlehem. Now what happens if Herod says, I want you to do this, and everybody says, no. No. That doesn't happen, because he's the king. What the king says goes. And so they do that. And this is what we see all the way back in the very beginning of the whole Bible and the whole universe. Where in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and nothing happened. No, that's not right, is it? God said, Let there be light. And there was light, because he is the king. And it was being presented as the king from the very beginning. That what he says goes. And then John tells us in the opening chapters of his gospel that it is this word of God, that creative word of God, that through him everything is made, and without him nothing that has been made is made. Says this is the word of God that became flesh, in the person of Jesus. This is why Jesus is the true king over all the kings. And so you'd think, well then, what Jesus says should go. And so you read through the rest of the Gospels, you see not only Jesus as a baby, but as he grows up. Is that what happens? And what do you see? You see Jesus telling blind people to see and they do. And he tells lame and crippled people to get up and walk, and they do. And he tells dead people to get up out of their graves, and they do. And he tells storms to be still, and they are still. What Jesus says goes, because he is the king. The king over all the kings, and the king over everything. And this is why you even see when Jesus is preaching, he gets to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says that those who were hearing him were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Because he's teaching as the king, and what he says goes. However, there is a place where what Jesus says may go or may not go. And that is with each of us, in our hearts. You see, that's where he's left it up to us. To follow him as the true king, or to find a different king. To try to be our own king. This was the problem with Herod, the second king in our story. I've often thought it would be nice with, you know, a nativity scene, has all the, those who are gathered around, got Mary and Joseph and the shepherd and the wise men, even though they weren't there at the same time, but it still makes a cute scene. And, but there's no Herod. And I'm always like, you know, he's part of the story, and it'd be kind of nice to make a little Herod figurine with a, you know, like wicked smile or something and a knife behind his back or something. I don't know. But you get the, he's here just to, to get the kid, not to worship him. But it's actually better that Herod's not in the Nativity scenes because he wasn't there. He didn't come. He wanted to get rid of Jesus. He saw him as nothing but a threat. The wise men come and ask, Where is the newborn king? And he says, mm, mm, mm. I am the king. And there's not going to be anybody else that takes my spot. And it's easy to look at Herod and say, Oh my goodness, that guy. Until we look closer at ourselves and realize that every single one of us naturally has a little Herod inside of us. I don't want anybody to be king over me, I'm my own king. I get to say what happens. And in situations like this, even people who will come to Jesus and say, okay, you say to uh, forgive people? It's Christmas time. That kind of sounds like a good idea. And maybe in the long run it will work out for me. So, you know what, I think maybe I will. But even that is not recognizing Jesus as the true king. That's looking at Jesus as An advisor, but you still get to be king. Jesus as king looks very different than that because he is a threat to our rule. Jesus as king is the one where we say, You say to forgive so and so. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't think it makes any sense. They don't deserve it. But you're the king. And when we do what he says to do, not because it makes sense to us, but just because he's the king, that's different. Third king. The wise men. Not because we sometimes sing of the we three kings of Orient, etc. But each of them, looking at them as the kings of their own lives. As those who had time time and energy, and resources. And you see what they're doing? They're taking all of this, traveling great distances, coming to Bethlehem, following the star, and laying it all down before Jesus. Bowing down and worshiping him. And this is what we see, actually, at the end of Revelation, is those who are putting their kings down, their their kings, their throne, no, crowns, there it is, crowns down at the feet of Jesus. Jesus. That everything that we have as far as our own decision making abilities to be the kings of our own lives has to be submitted under the one true king. And I will tell you one final point. Is that one of the reasons why we all have a little Herod in us instead of like these wise men is because we know people, we know kings, we know people in authority. And we know they can't be trusted. And so we say, I don't, I don't think I can follow what they're going to say unless I run it through myself first. Because we see kings, the reason that kings generally aren't beloved, is that we see them as being out of touch with the people and being in it for themselves. And that's where Christmas is very different. Because with Christmas, we see... Jesus, the true king over all, who is very in touch with us as people, who came into this world being born, not in a palace, but in a stable, who knows what it's like to be tired, who knows what it's like to be hungry, who knows what it's like to be tempted, who knows what it's like to grieve loss, who knows what it's like to face the pressures of not having enough time in the day for all the things that people are wanting from him. He's been there. He's been through it all. And the reason he's been through it all, the reason that he knows what it's like, is because he's not in it for himself. But he did it all, even being betrayed by a close friend, being wrongly accused to the point of death. did it all for you for me, for us. He came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And this is what makes him a very different king from all the other kings. And this is why he can be trusted. And this is why, when we look to Jesus, we see that it's not bad news that there's a king who threatens our own rule, but it's good news that there is a king a good king, and a true king who can rightfully rule us in the ways that are good and best and who is worthy of all our worship. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.